Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org, or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. The story of the Lord's calling of the Apostle Peter, as it's recorded in the Gospel of John, includes an intriguing and unusual component. He changes his name from Simon to Cephas, which literally means a stone. This is John chapter 1, verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard this from John and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He led him to Jesus. Looking at him, Jesus said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is interpreted Peter. Of course, nothing of God's genuine work is accomplished merely in name only. And so the changing of this poor Galilean fisherman's name from Simon to something so solid and permanent as Peter, a stone for God's building, is full of meaning. And it implies that God has much more in mind for Peter than simply saving him from his sins. For both Peter's transformation and the accomplishment of God's very eternal purpose is hinted at in this symbolic act. Bob Danker has joined us for our second program from the Life Study of First Peter. Good to have you, Bob. It's good to be with you again, Chris, for this uh, wonderful life study from First Peter. Yes, I agree. This changing of the Peter's name, actually, from Simon to Peter by the Lord Jesus, is an act full of meaning and symbolism, which points to something much, much deeper and is intrinsically related to the accomplishing of God's eternal purpose. As we began this life study yesterday, Bob, we spent quite a bit of time on the matter of the full salvation that's revealed in these two epistles of Peter. But I think it's good to take a minute here before we jump into the second message and examine just for a moment, not just the fact that Peter wrote about full salvation, but Peter's very life is a kind of a demonstration of the full salvation, isn't it? It is, Chris. If we read the New Testament, of course, we see Peter mentioned prominently in the four Gospels and in the book of Acts. And we can see, we may say, one kind of Peter in the Gospels, another kind of Peter in the Acts, and then when we encounter Peter for the last time in his epistles, we see quite a lot of development in Peter's experience of salvation. Bob, uh, Peter means a stone, and Peter wrote about stones in his epistles, Of course, uh, there's the famous passage in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where Peter is very significant relating to God's building. And then in in the epistles, uh, which we'll get to later on as we progress in this new life study, Peter identifies all of us as living stones for God's building, doesn't he? He does, Chris. And that shows that Peter realized that God's goal in his eternal purpose is to have a 
organic building, a building in the eternal life of God that is a composition of all the believers who are regenerated by the Spirit and transformed by the Spirit to become living stones. And then these transformed stones are built together to be one entity, which Peter calls a spiritual house, and eventually he calls it also a holy priesthood. So this is a reference to God's building, which is really God's goal. All right, let's join Witness Lee Bob with our first segment from today's live study from First Epistle of Peter. Peter, we all know he was originally Simon, not Peter. What you could see in the four Gospels, not a Peter, but a Simon, an old natural man, a natural man full of self. That was Simon. But when he came to the Lord, in John chapter 1, the Lord Jesus right away gave him a new name, changed his name. The Lord Jesus would change Simon to Peter. Simon is the old man, and Peter the new man. My, you better first read the four Gospels, then you will come to Peter's writing. You would say, I can hardly believe that man, Galilean fisher, Simon, can be such a writer. Peter has been transformed. Peter was Simon, and Simon was an earthen vessel. But now, in his writing, he was no more Simon. He was Peter, a regenerated new being. He's altogether new. In his two books, you cannot see his natural life. You cannot see his self. You cannot see his flesh. What you can see, just the new man expressed in his writing. Christ expressed in all his lines of expressions. Bob, this really underscores what we were just talking about. We spent a little time again yesterday reviewing some of these phrases in uh, Peter's epistles. And it's, you know, they're so high and so profound and so full of meaning. It's hard to imagine they were coming forth from this, you know, this unlearned, uh, poor Galilean fisherman. It's just uh, quite astounding, isn't it? It is, Chris. In the four Gospels, uh, you can see that Peter was altogether natural, full of himself, when he should not have spoken, he spoke right. out of place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can point to several instances of this. And when he should have spoken, he was silent. He was silent. Yeah. <laughs> or he denied the right. Lord. You see, this was Peter in the four Gospels. But when we come to his epistles, we see nothing of this. We see nothing of Peter's natural man. We see nothing of his self, his flesh. We see a transformed person, a person who has been remade, reconstituted by the triune God to be a person who is able to write uh, inspired divine writings that have nothing of the old natural element in them. It's, it's, it's a tremendous thing. And I believe Peter is given to us in the 
entire New Testament as an example of what the Lord wants to do in each one of us. We all begin when we first come to the Lord as people who are full of the flesh, full of the self, full of the natural life. And we need to be saved from Mm -hmm. all these Mm -hmm. things, not only by being regenerated, reborn, but also by being transformed. And uh, Peter is a wonderful pattern to us. When the Lord changed Peter's name, or Simon's name, to the name Peter, he indicated by doing that that he intended to transform this man, Simon, into a stone for the building of God. One of the things that uh, Peter's own experience illustrates, as well as his writing confirms, is that he had the mercy to have his view of the sufferings that were brought about by all of these uh, mistakes of the flesh and of the natural man that he made that you refer to. They brought about a significant amount of suffering. He suffered the most stinging rebuke, even directly at the Lord's uh, own word. And it's hard to imagine how you recover from that. But nonetheless, he was able to have his mind renewed and his view of these events, these circumstances, enlightened to realize this was how God was coming to him with his full salvation to work out such a magnificent change, wasn't he? That's right, Chris. Uh, Peter realized that in order for us to be saved, fully saved, from the flesh, from the self, from the natural life, from the world, we do need a certain amount of suffering under God's governmental hand. And in his epistles, he does refer to this. And this is so that we can experience the full salvation of God. Bob, let's look at a couple of these verses now. Right at the beginning of the book, I think it illustrates both uh, the richness uh, and the content in Peter's writing. But also we see a lot here that uh, really opens this matter of what what Peter is presenting to us. Uh, Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the sojourners of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. And we're going to see in this coming portion that though the term Trinity or triune God can't be found not only in Peter but nowhere in the entire New Testament, surely the reality, the truth of the triune God is very present right from the beginning of his book, isn't it? Yes, it is, Chris. All right, let's go to Witness Lee. In these two verses, as I've pointed out already, you have the Father's choice, choosing, selection. You have the Spirit's what? Sanctification. And you have the sin's redemption. There is not such a word, triune God or Trinity. But there is the fact of the Trinity of the Godhead. God the Father's selection. The Spirit's sanctification. And the sin's redemption. Isn't this the triune God? Isn't this the trinity of the Godhead operating, working upon his children people? For what purpose? For the elect's participation in the triune God's full salvation. We will see in the coming messages that uh, Paul didn't 
give us a clear view of、uh, God's entire salvation, but Peter does. So the word salvation used by Peter implies a full salvation. Could you see if you read chapter two of the first book, longing for the milk of the word that they may grow unto salvation, right? Sometimes Christians would ask you, "Have you been saved?" The answer was always yes. I have been saved, but Peter says you have to grow into salvation.、Amen. That means some kind of salvation you haven't reached. What kind of salvation is this? This is full salvation,、Amen. and this salvation will be brought in by the Lord Jesus unveiling when He comes. Uh, Bob, once again,、um, an intriguing thought here. The implication is that Peter's use of the word salvation has a connotation that even goes somewhat beyond what Paul presents us or was presented in the Gospels. Pick that up and develop it a little bit. Yes, actually, when we hear the word salvation, we normally think of a person believing in the Lord Jesus, according to the Gospel of the New Testament, and then being saved from. Hell or God's judgment, eternal perdition, and then going to heaven after he dies. But if you read the epistles of Peter, you can see that salvation is more than this. Peter speaks about a salvation that is progressive. It has an initiation, it has a continuation, and it has a consummation or a climax or an end.、Mm-hmm. So the salvation that Peter refers to is the full salvation of God. Actually, according to the verses that you read, Chris, this salvation began in eternity past, when we were chosen by God the Father. Then God the Son redeemed us about two thousand years ago. Even before we were born, we were redeemed by the Son. But then the Spirit comes to contact us when we hear the preaching of the gospel. To cause us to believe in the Lord and to receive His redemption, then Peter refers to our being regenerated in chapter one, verse three, and then、uh, he says that God is guarding us by His power unto a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. The last、mm. time being the time when the Lord Jesus returns. Right. So there's a salvation that will be revealed at the second coming of Christ, and then as Uh, Witness Lee mentioned in chapter two, verse two, it says that we, as newborn babes, those who have been born of God, should long for the milk of the word, so that we may grow into salvation. This is a salvation that we receive by our growing. So we could say this is certainly a progressive salvation, since growth is something that progresses、right. from initial stage to the full-grown stage. So here we can see that Peter's salvation is、uh, much more than the normal concept of salvation, and it really behooves us to understand this salvation in a full way, because we are the ones who are to be saved by such a complete and full salvation. So, Bob, 
going back to the kind of definition you gave for the common or typical thought for salvation to begin with, that a person enters into a relationship with Christ, uh, asks for the forgiveness of his sins based on the shed blood, etc., etc., accepts him as Lord and Savior. When we say salvation in the context we're seeing it here, the context of First uh, Peter 2, 2, growing into salvation, we're really not talking about a different salvation, but rather a further salvation, aren't we? That's right. A further stage of God's full salvation that begins when we initially believe in the Lord and continues and progresses by our growing in Christ and having Christ grow in us. Then it has its final climax at the second coming of the Lord. This is the full salvation of God in three stages. The first stage, our regeneration at the time we believed. The second stage, a rather long stage. Right. The rest of our Christian life should be a stage of gradually being saved from many, many negative things that are within us and that are outside of us by our growing in the life of Christ. And then the final stage at the Lord's second coming. So, Bob, uh, what we're presenting, I think, is really another way to resolve the uh, historically mammoth question of whether salvation is once and for all or whether it can be, uh, you know, lost in this. Uh, Of course, we're saying, yes, it is once for all, but it's not complete the moment we receive it. It is in terms of our ultimate destiny, but in terms of the process that awaits us as the salvation is worked out in its full reach and scope is, uh, is what we're really talking about. That's right, Chris. Every believer, everyone who has believed in the Lord Jesus must pass through this second stage of the progressing stage, the stage of growth, to participate in God's full salvation. I think this last segment will be um, a, a real enjoyment for our listeners because Witness Lee will give a very vivid illustration that we will all, I think, be able to uh, relate to. Here's Witness Lee for our last portion. Have you been saved? Yes. Have you been saved? Yes. Yes. Why are you suffering? You see, on the one hand, you have been saved. On the other hand, you are under suffering. Are you happy when you lose your temper? Do you feel happy? Then you are so mean. You tell me, are you happy? No. Now, why you are so mean? Why you lose your temper? Did you pray, Lord, save me from my temper? I don't like to lose my temper anymore, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are Emmanuel. Uh, you are God with us. You are Jesus who will what, deliver his people from sin. I know you are my Savior. You can deliver me from this kind of sin. Right away after two minutes, the Lord Jesus sent a good angel to <laughs> to what? To cause you to lose your temper. Instead of saving you from losing temper, he sent your dear wife. <laughs> you just prayed in your study room. When you come out of your study room, into the dining room, your wife said, what are you doing there? So long. Don't you know this is eating time? <laughs> Don't lose temper, Lord Jesus, save me. <laughs> Lord Jesus, save me from my temper. <laughs> Saves you? He will not save you. He will tear up your dear wife. You've been always like this. <laughs> After-
after our marriage, 12 years. It never changed. Isn't this a kind of suffering? Yeah. Then you go to work. After the work, you're driving back home. Jesus said to go home and apologize to her. I will not do that. <laughs> If you don't do this, I'm through with you. This hard. I sure cannot make it. It's not this kind of suffering. So let me tell you, the Christian life, on the one hand, is kind of enjoying life. I think we all agree. On the other hand, you see, suffering much. We need the Savior. We need to grow into salvation. The Lord doesn't save you from losing temper. Why? Because it is your growth that saves you from losing temper. You grow into salvation. Hear the divine economy. Through the operation of the Trinity of the Godhead, that means the working, the energizing work of the Chayunya uh, upon his elect is revealed. Well, Bob, I do enjoy that illustration. I, again, anybody who's married or probably even those who aren't married have a, a similar circumstance in which they can relate to this story. Here, this man is saved on the one hand. He's a believer. He's saved eternally. He's going to be with the Lord. But he really needs to get saved from himself, doesn't he? And the way the Lord goes about it is not according to our natural thought. No, we always, if we are confronted with, let's say, our besetting sin, like losing our temper or something of this nature, we pray desperately that the Lord would save us. What a suffering it is to us to always have these kind of problems with our fallen nature. This is suffering. So we beg the Lord to relieve us of this suffering instantly, according to our concept. Yeah. But it seems the Lord never answers these prayers. The reason because it is not by miraculous action of the Lord that we are saved from our temper and from other things that beset us. It is by our growing. And Peter makes this very clear, that we, as those who are born of God, we need to desire earnestly to feed on the milk of God's Word so that we may grow up into God's full salvation. It is our growth, mm. not a miraculous right. act of the Lord that saves us gradually, little by little, from all the negative things that beset us in our life, and it causes all kinds of suffering. So, the Lord doesn't save us instantly so that we will realize our need to grow in life, and we will hunger for the milk of of his word and learn to feed on the word of God mm. so that we may grow in life unto God's salvation. Yeah, this phrase that he said, uh, the Lord does not want to save us from our temper. It's the growth in life that saves us. This is just a complete uh, 180 degree departure from how we are sort of intuitively or natively programmed uh, in this manner, isn't it? I agree, Chris. Well, Bob, a wonderful fellowship today. Great start these last uh, these first two programs in this new life study. I'm looking forward as the life studies of First and Second Peter really unfold before us, and I hope you're able to join us for a number of these in the coming days. I hope so too. 
We would uh, like to mention right at the beginning, uh, now in the first week of this uh, new live study, that the best way to follow along, if you're able to, is to acquire the printed live study messages. We have a volume for First Peter and a volume for Second Peter. And if you want to find out about how to get these, and then you can follow along, get into the messages uh, in much more detail. I think uh, that really enhances the whole experience. So we invite you to contact us toll-free. Our number is one eight 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 life study 888-543-3788. Or you can write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to radio at LSM. We'll tell you about how to get the printed Life Study volumes and all of the other materials we have available. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow. And for all of these programs, or as many as you're able to, as we continue now on the Life Studies of First and Second Peter. For Bob Danker, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.